tonight as we spend some time in his word, we're going to be finishing up this little mini-series we've done in the I Am's of Christ. And I want to pray in just a minute. But Jesus said something very remarkable on the last night that he was here alive with the disciples. And he said, I am the vine. And when he said that, he also said, my father is the vine dresser. And he would go on to say, and you are the branches, speaking of the disciples. And so the question tonight is, are we grafted into the vine? And are we abiding in the vine? Because there is none like him. He's one of one. Would you pray with me? Father, as we stop for a few moments to just simply study your word and for you to speak to us, God, for your Holy Spirit to fall upon us in this place and for us to know the power of your resurrection alive in us. God, would you bless us tonight with your presence in this place? Lord, we want to hear your voice. We want to know what you would have for us tonight. And so, Lord, just just clear the distractions. Lord, maybe there's something on our hearts that we're thinking about for our celebration tomorrow for Memorial Day. Maybe there's something in the upcoming week about our job or maybe something going on in our families, Lord. And we simply want to set those things aside for just a few minutes and hear your voice. And so God, speak to us. Your servants want to hear what the Master has to say. So bless us, we pray. We ask these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. Amen. Now, if you had been with a dozen guys, and they had been your disciples, and you had wandered for two and a half years, and you'd begun this little itinerant preaching ministry that went out into a region that's not really much bigger than greater Los Angeles County, if you had spent that time in a way so that they were not just learning from you, but they were living with you, and, and you had spent that time imparting to them truths that were very, very difficult to live out. It is those truths that we're going to cover next as we begin the Sermon on the Mount. But as Jesus spoke these things to the disciples, the very last study he would teach them together on the night that he was betrayed. He'd be dead in 24 hours. And he was really dead. He was really gone. And he was really raised. What would you say to him? And it begins this way in verse 1 of John chapter 15, if you want to turn there. And he says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. And every branch that in me does not bear fruit, he takes away. And I want to be really careful here. There are some that have wrongly taught that this passage is talking about losing one's salvation. It is not. But it is talking about fellowship, and it is talking about fruit. It's talking about faithful fruit, and it's speaking of something we should all be very concerned with as the body of Christ. You see, too much of the church is fruitless. Too much of the church, if you really do examine the vine, some churches are nice, big, bushy, healthy leaves. Some people in the church look vibrant. The vines are good. But they're not bearing any fruit. He takes that away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. I remember what he's saying. I'm the true vine. 
My Father's the vine dresser. So when God the Father trims branches from the vine, and we're going to find out exactly who that is in verse 5, it becomes very clear what the Lord is saying to us. What he's trying to communicate. What is that purpose that he's left us here on this earth for? Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. And notice the progression here. You're already clean because in the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. And as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. An incredible truth that the church sometimes glosses over. We somehow think we're going to be fruitful for the kingdom while not abiding in Christ. While living outside of the guidelines that the Lord has set for us. While being someplace other than attached to the vine. For I am the vine, and notice what he says in verse 5, you Speaking to the disciples, every last person who's ever named the name of Jesus is a branch. Everyone who's ever said yes to the good news of the gospel, received that grace gift from the Lord by faith, now walks with him. You're a branch. I'm a branch. We're branches. And he says, then he who abides in me and I in him, notice what it says. Bears how much fruit? Much fruit. If you're actually abiding in Christ, then you'll bear much fruit. It's one of the ways that we are to be marked as a church. A great church is not marked by a big building. Amen? A great church isn't marked by the multicolor posters that we produce. A great church isn't marked by sound and lighting and technology. Those are all wonderful things that can be used for the kingdom. But a great church, a great believer, an awesome branch is marked by the fruit that it produces. By being soul winners. By being edifiers of the body of Christ. By doing eternal things that matter. God can use posters and God certainly uses technology and sound and lights. Those things are all have some import in the kingdom of God. But some churches end up more concerned with those things than they do with bearing fruit. And then notice how he ends verse 5, for without me you can do nothing. Now think about this for a moment. It's actually a very easy picture to follow. For those of you who lived here in California for most of your life, I I grew up in a little town in North San Diego County. I was born in Escondido. At the time, it was one of the places in California that was the home of uh, the raisin industry, among other things. matter of fact, the little hospital that I was born in was actually in the middle of a vineyard, uh, at the end of that vineyard. Mostly raisin grapes. And I remember as a, as a young man, we used to be able to ride our horses. Remember we still have those here in California? You could ride horses. We could sit on our front porch, literally, and shoot guns across the field in our house. And it wasn't because there was gang activity. <laughs> there were jackrabbits. And they were kind of tasty if you cook them just right. But, but you could ride through those vineyards and, and just look at this amazing trellis work. And, and some of those, especially the, the seedless grapes, were eight, ten feet tall, hung on trellises, big clusters of grapes like this. And as you got towards the end of summer, neared harvest time, you could smell those grapes from like a mile away. On a warm summer night, that breeze would blow through the vineyard 
and, and you could just smell these grapes oozing, ready to be harvested and turned into raisins of all things. Dried out, sucked of the life. But I never recall anybody tending those vineyards so that they would produce a bunch of leaves. I never recall seeing anybody working their fingers to the bone because farming is difficult work. It's very hard, it's tedious, it's arduous. And if you tended a vine inside of a vineyard, you could count on several things. Having a bad back by the time you were 25 by having a, a very, very, very poor skeletal structure from either being bent over or stretched out, one of the two. And, and you could also count on working from daylight to dark every single day. God also is at work in his church, in us, in you, in me, in the branches. And he's not doing it so he can just work from daylight to dark. He's doing it for the express purpose of what he declares here. And that is so that we might bear the largest clusters of grapes that you can possibly imagine. So that literally those bushel baskets would be filled with the produce of our lives. And he gives us a couple of keys here, and I want to look at them. You see, Jesus definitely would give his life. He would take and pay the price. That cleansing flow would come. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood. Lose all their guilty stains. Amen? That happened. Jesus would give his life a ransom for many. To those who would believe, they would receive eternal life. That is true. And in fact, the disciples, all of them, would cost them their life for all intents and purposes. Even John, who would live out his life in that cave on the island of Patmos, as we study on Thursdays, he's writing as he's seeing this vision from the Lord. Even he was banished for the remainder of his life. The rest of the disciples all lost their lives because of the testimony. So much so that when Simon Greenleaf, who would be the principal founder of the Harvard School of Law, when he finally came to terms with the laws of evidence and how to examine them and what you should look for when you're examining eyewitness evidence, which is the very best evidence that you can get. Amen? If you have someone who sees an event happen, that is the best evidence that you can possibly have. Hearing it secondhand, thirdhand, that's all good, but seeing it is the best. And so when he really looked at the gospel authors... He came to the unmistakable conclusion that because of what they had done in their life after they gave witness to these events, after the letters that they would author were written, that they gave their lives, and then subsequently millions of people followed in suit and in kind, that what they had declared was truth, so much so that you can get that book, that work today, The Testimony of the Evangelist by Simon Greenleaf. It's still used for the examination of the eyewitness accounts that are used, is used in a court of law. Jesus died. And Jesus was raised. Why is the question. What do we live for? Because we're supposed to live for something, Amen. We don't just occupy space while we're here on earth. So many people are, they're, you know, they're, they're, like, they're like packing peanuts. You ever get those boxes, you order something from Amazon, and in the box there's like 150,000 packing peanuts, and there's like one CD in there? The packing peanuts take up space. And if you ever spill them in a windstorm, they also cannot be cleaned up by human beings. A lot of Christians are almost like packing peanuts in a box of something good. Yeah, they hang around, they take up space, but they don't actually produce anything themselves. And so Jesus speaks to this issue in our life in this passage. What are we here for? Why did he go to the cross? 
certainly to save us from sin and death. But he died so that we could live. He died so that we can live. He didn't die so that we could wander around miserably for our very short lifespan that we as human beings stay on this earth. You know, sometimes you, if you talk to certain Christians, you'll almost get the, the opinion from talking to them that being a Christian is like some kind of death sentence. Yeah, I'm just trying to persevere, brother. You know, I really hope I make it. And you talk to them, they're just like totally dead. And yes, we all have things going on in our life. Life's tough sometimes. But we have been given abundant life. Amen? In Christ Jesus. We weren't given a death sentence. He gave us new life in the place of the death sentence we already had. We're supposed to be bearing fruit. And so as you look at this progression in this passage, if you can imagine for a moment with me some baskets and we we set them out and one of them would be here, it would be to my uh, left, to your right, and and it would be labeled no fruit. There's nothing in it, it's completely empty. There's a lot of Christians, that's their basket. There would be a basket next to that one that would say some fruit there in verse 2. We're supposed to bear some fruit. I mean, all of us can at least remember what we said this morning, what we saw in the passage before us this morning. Ultimately, the Lord wants to put you on display as this trophy case. So the very least that we can do is be available for God to go, look, that's what it looks like to be a Christian. And as we do that, then we're supposed to be so much different than the world that when the world sees us, the world goes, wow, there's something significantly different about these people called Christians. And when you see those guys, it's very different than seeing the people that you work with that don't know the Lord. And so the Lord puts us on display so we might bear some fruit in that case. Maybe some person all of a sudden gets a hunger to see what this church thing is all about. Maybe they actually begin to read that book called the Bible. Maybe they even offer up one of those prayers to the man upstairs. You all have people like that in your life, right? Yeah, I talked to the man upstairs yesterday. And who is that? That's the guy who lives in 12B? You know? Who exactly is the man upstairs? Or, or, you know, the surfers, you know, the big kahuna. Kahuna means chieftain. I think he's a little higher than the chieftain. But maybe that's some fruit. If somebody just gets a little inkling, maybe they're not actually the only person in the universe. Because our society kind of likes to tell people, you know, it's really you that matters. Do what's best for you. Think of yourself. We should all be Ned the Narcissist. God's kingdom, it doesn't work that way. Some fruit in that basket, and that basket bears at least a little bit. Another basket would be sitting up here, and it would have more fruit in it. So you have none, you have some, and you have more fruit. Some people, as their lives unfold, they begin to bear a little bit more fruit than others. Talking to quite a few people after service today, and just talking about how God's using them in their workplace. They have some kind of testimony, maybe a little Bible study. They're sitting down. You know, you'd be surprised how many people you can completely freak out by just reading your Bible at your desk. On your own time, by the way. Why are you reading that? That's a 2,000 year. No, it's older than that. That thing is so out of touch and out of date. No, it's not. Then you share little things with them like, did you know that this book actually says that the the stars actually sing? You know, we didn't find that out until 1987. That the stars actually have a frequency and it sounds like singing. Your Bible declared that 
two and a half thousand years ago. You see, you're sitting there reading it. I always like to freak people out by reading Genesis. Why are you reading that? Only because it tells me about the Big Bang. (laughs) They go, it does? Yeah. In the beginning, God said, and it was. Bang. (laughs) Booyah. And then you get into some discussion, and all of a sudden, there's some fruit. They may think you're fruity, but there's some fruit. <laughs> all of a sudden, you're sitting there thinking to yourself, wow, this, is, this whole fruit thing is actually pretty easy when I just abide in the vine. I just cling to Jesus and let Him use me wherever I am and whatever I'm doing. And then there's the super basket that the vine dresser really wants. You see, because the vine dresser gave his only begotten son for the vineyard. The vine dresser has worked from time in eternity to prepare the soil, to, to plant the vineyard, to work in the vineyard, to prune us, to water us, to make sure everything's taken care of. What he really wants is those clusters of grapes that I used to smell when I was a little guy living in Escondido. And the trellises that start to cave in from the weight of the fruit. And you'd see these guys coming by and they'd have their... It was amazing how many grapes that they could actually get in these kind of bags that were like a gigantic basket. And they'd just clip them and let them drop in there. I mean, juice would just be running out and their shoes would be completely covered with grape juice from the weight of the fruit. That's a truckload. That's a truckload of fruit. And that's really what the Lord wants from us. And so the question I have for you tonight is, what kind of fruit production you got going on? What kind of basket? Would you have a no fruit basket? A some fruit basket? A more fruit basket? Or a truckload of fruit basket? I want a truckload. That's what I personally want. When I get to heaven, what I'd like to have happen is for there to be an obstruction in the line at the door from people getting in. It's clogged up. I, you know, I, I, I've always had a theological problem with Peter at the pearly gates. But if there's such a place and Peter's there, And he's like checking passports from this morning. Yep, well, come on in. That there would be a bottleneck because of the much fruit basket. And so the Lord gives us some secrets on how to make that happen. Because you see what he says here is apart from me you can do nothing. But there's a complementary truth. By him, through him, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? There's always more fruit that can come out of your life. Always. And it doesn't matter whether you're some seasoned senior pastor, some pastor of a huge church like this one. It doesn't matter whether you're in full-time ministry or your ministry is raising your children godly in Christ Jesus there's always room for more fruit. And you see, sometimes we forget that we're in the fruit business. We start getting in the pretty topiary business. Now, I have to admit, I I actually like Disneyland. I really don't think that Satan dwells there. There are some Christians that do. If you do, we can talk later theologically about whether Walt Disney had 666 on a room someplace in Disneyland. Isn't it amazing what people can come up with? I call them cosmic killjoys. <laughs> but you know, when you, when you go there, and, and you remember all the old rides. See, just a little secret, Disneyland opened on my birthday when I was born. It's mine. I'm still waiting for the deed, but 
But back in 1955, when it first opened, it opened with Frontierland, and they actually had Native American dancers. We actually called them Indians at the time. We played cowboys and Indians, not cowboys and Native Americans. Though I'm not opposed to that name. But back then, it was you would go and you'd sit around a campfire with Chief Yellowfeather. And Chief Yellowfeather would tell you stories about the American West, and they would have gunfights and they used guns, which, which now they have, they have little signs that say, no real guns are being used in this, in this kind of gunfight. But you could go, and, and, and what they had was a lot of really wonderful plants. The trees were nicely trimmed, and you, you remember the little miniature railroad as you went around there on the, on the boat ride that was inside of, at the time then, was fantasy land. But there's a lot of plants, and they were shaped like elephants and deer and all, you know, they were topiary. A lot of the churches like that. Nicely pruned, wonderfully shaped, very green bushes. Not a bit of fruit. You see, every one of those things was individual. They weren't grafted in. They weren't linked together. They had no common purpose. They just looked good. Looking good's not a bad thing, by the way. See, a lot of very sincere people think that being a Christian is something that you do on Sunday and you forget about it on Monday. And then you do it again the following Sunday. If you're really dedicated or every other week. And it is those people that end up looking like nicely trimmed bushes. They come to church, they speak Christianese. You know the type. Praise the Lord, brother. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, I'm walking with the Lord. Amen. But then you look at their life on Monday, and their car is parked out in front of some place they shouldn't be parked. They're inside some bar somewhere. And there's no fruit. In fact, they're killing someone else's fruit. I've talked to a lot of Christo-Islamo-Buddhists, you know, New Age Wiccan people. It's, it's pretty interesting to talk to them, and they all think they have the answer. And I will usually, in my conversation with them, I, I will say something like, okay, but what's your purpose? Why are you here? And they cannot tell you. Because there is no purpose in religious activity. It's one of the most selfish endeavors that you could ever get engaged in because they're always, well, I'm just looking for the truth, man. I'm trying to find myself. They don't know what they're looking for and wouldn't know it if they found it. Seriously. You see, for you as a Christian, for us as a Christian, for this church as a group of Christians... We have a purpose. It's not to be empty. It's not to have a couple of grapes in our basket. It's to have a basket full of fruit. You see, the cheapened, commercialized version of Christianity doesn't produce that. You know, you go and have an experience. No, we want to go and meet with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen? Amen. We, we want to praise the creator and the maker of heaven and earth. And when we do that, it transforms our lives in such a way that we want other people to know what it is that we have experienced. We want them to become children of God. We want them to meet the Lord Jesus. And in order to do that, you and I kind of have to get serious about our relationship with God. There are a lot of Christians that aren't serious about their relationship with, with the Lord. And notice he says, Luke, you have to abide in the vine. Now, word is often misunderstood because the world wants kind of the vending machine mentality. 
I don't know how many of you have traveled to any major airports recently. I cannot believe what you can get in vending machines in airports. You can go in there. You, you, how do you put, you, you, I guess you use your ATM card. And you put it in, oh, I just got an iPad, honey. You know, you can get cell phones and I, you, you're like, uh, give me B47. It's, you know, it's an iPad mini. And instead of Bose headphones, you know, it's like 1100 bucks or something. It's crazy. But the world wants that kind of mentality from church. I want church to be exactly what I want. I don't ever want to be challenged. I don't ever want to be told, maybe I can grow a little bit. I surely don't want to be told, maybe I sin. Maybe. I don't ever want to be confronted with the prospect that my unsaved family is going to go to hell. I don't ever want anybody to tell me that, you know, I actually have to abide in the vine. That I need to walk in Christ Jesus as Lord. And that word means master, by the way. Very often people think Lord is another name for Savior. It's not. It's completely different. He did the saving at the cross. And what he demanded from the cross, from you and I, is that he be Lord, master of everything. It is no longer you who live, it is Christ who lives in us. And we live for him. We abide in him. And that word means to set up or take up residence. It it means that you park yourself inside of Christ and you stay there. As D.L. Moody wisely said, he's famous. If you look up the one-liners of D.L. Moody, there's like hundreds of them. If Jesus Christ is not Lord of all, then perhaps he's not Lord at all. You see, if he's Lord of all, if he's got all of you, the much fruit basket can come out of your life. But if he doesn't have much of you, not much fruit can come out of your life. If he's not Lord, perhaps you're saved, perhaps. But you'll never know because you won't have any assurance because there's no fruit in your life. You're wandering around going, I don't know what's happening, you know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm down to, you know, I only shoot up twice a week. You know, I just don't understand why, you know, I'm not producing any fruit. Still hanging around with the same old friends? Christ wants us to abide in order to bear much fruit. And that means we forsake the old ways. When you come to our house, when you come to the Gill house, which we think we have a house, we're going to be living in Lomita. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Pray for that. But if you come to our house, we have house rules. You all have house rules, yeah? You know, somebody comes to your house, you actually don't let them take a chainsaw to your walls, things like that, you know? There's some rules. And those rules speak about who is the master of the home. And in our house, there's no profane words. We treat everybody with kindness. We love people as we want to be loved ourselves. We try and live like Jesus in our house. So in our house, if you come to abide in our house, you're going to actually live with some people who really actually love Jesus. And so when you're there, you're going to get the example, hey, that's walking in the Spirit. That's not walking in the flesh. Now think of it this way. We're all supposed to live in Jesus' house. We're supposed to abide in the vine. We're supposed to take up residence. And guess what? He's got house rules. And those house rules say things like, yeah, you're not supposed to be a fornicator. You're not supposed to be a drunk. You're not supposed to take the Lord's name in vain. You're supposed to walk in the Spirit so that you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Amen? 
You see, if you're really abiding in the vine, then you look like the vine. Not like the old us, the old people we used to be. We look like the people that we now are from this morning. Raised up, seated with, made into the image of Jesus. And so as we begin to abide, all of a sudden it's like, well, that's, I really shouldn't do that. Because this isn't my house, it's his house. And I need to live by his rules. You see then that bitterness and anger and that self-seeking, that vanity, those things which kind of is us most of the time without Jesus. Those things go away. You know what gets added? Love and joy and peace and gentleness and meekness and self-control. And against such things there is no law. Yeah. You see, when you start living in Christ and he lives in you, then what happens is your life bears witness to who he is and all of a sudden you find fruit coming out of your life. It's just a natural outflow of living in him. It's something that happens very naturally, very, as we would say in our day and time, organically. It's organic. It's free-range Jesus. It's like everywhere, Jesus. Free-range, that's another way of saying really expensive. Cost God his son, amen? And Jesus his life. What would Jesus say to him that night? A few hours, he'd be arrested, he'd be crucified. He says, I am the vine, my father's the vine dresser. I want you to see what he says in verse 8, because it's so important to what I'm trying to bring forth tonight. My father is glorified in this, that you bear much fruit, and so, get this, prove to be my disciples. People say, oh, are you talking that we're saved by works? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But if you're a vine dresser, what you want is fruit. And so you prune the vines, you take care of the vines so that fruit is what comes out of it. And if you're a Christian and you're grafted into the vine and you yourself are a branch, you're supposed to bear fruit. And if you don't bear fruit, you're proving that perhaps either you're not a vine at all, you're not a branch at all, or you're a dirty, muddy, laying in the dirt, not very likely to bear fruit branch. It doesn't mean that you earn it. It means that you show it. You see, a healthy branch does bear fruit. That's how you prove who you are in Christ. Sometimes people will say, well, you know, don't judge me, brother. I'm not judging you at all. I'm just inspecting the fruit. I'm checking to see if there's any fruit hanging off of your branch. I'm not in any way, shape, or form doing anything other than what Jesus said, which is if you're really a branch, you're going to bear fruit. At least some fruit. Hopefully then more fruit, and then much fruit, and then a whole truckload of fruit. You see, you do that by abiding in the vine, staying close to the Lord. Every one of us is a branch. And of course, the Second Corinthians chapter 5 tells us there in verse 17, we are absolutely a new creation in Christ Jesus. Amen? The old things are passed away, are they not? If the old things are passed away, you're not supposed to be laying in the mud where the old things were. You see, sometimes we don't like to talk about this. Oh, you're going to get all holy on me, right? You ever had anybody tell you that? Hey, bro, don't get all holy on me. It's like I can feel you. I always tell people, look, if you think that being holy is being Christ-like, then that's exactly what I want to be. That's exactly what I want to be. 
If you think that being holy is so that other people can see Christ in me, which is my hope of glory, then that is exactly what I want to be. So if that means I can't live like I used to live, then amen, praise God, hallelujah. If that means I need to forsake sin, what did James say? He said, if you resist the devil, he will flee. It doesn't say if you camp in his backyard, you're going to be fine. Too many Christians try and camp in the devil's backyard. Sometimes they ask the devil to come camping with them. They abide not with Christ, but they're really seeing how close they can live to the devil's door. That was Lot's problem, wasn't it? Wasn't that Lot's problem? He said, look, the Lord delivers them. Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed. They're on their way out. Well, you know, we'll just pitch our tent. I mean, there's some big business enterprise to be done down there. Rebuilding Sodom and Gomorrah. Trying to pitch his tent facing towards Sodom. Don't pitch your tent facing Sodom. Abide in the vine. You see, we want to be as close as we can to, to the trunk that is Jesus. To that gnarled root that produces branches in due season and fruit when the harvest is full. I was talking to a young man at Bible college one time and he was actually asking about this passage and I just said, so what do you think it means? He says, well, I think that, that what they're really trying to say here is if you don't bear fruit, that, that you're not saved. And I said, how do you figure that is? I said, who was this passage written to? Wasn't it written to believers? He said, well, yeah. So do you really think that not producing fruit is going to cause you to give away the grace of God? Well, no, but it says you'll be cut off. And I said, yeah, it does. But that's what you do when all you do is suck up nutrients and suck up water and take up space because you're not producing any fruit. So that part of you ends up in the fire. It's all you're good for is firewood. still does some good. And by the way, Scripture says the same thing, that some of us will enter in as though by fire because our works are going to be tested and they're not going to be much left. Some wood, some hay, and some stubbles about all that's going to be there. You don't want that. You want a basket full of fruit. That's the fruit that the vine dresser values. Think about what it costs God to produce any fruit in your life at all. Any fruit. You were not very fruitful, neither was I before I met Jesus. Amen? Think about your life before Christ. Most people are pretty much just self-absorbed. Amen? That's our culture. We look at our lives, and that's what we do. We just try and please ourselves. Looking out after number one. That's why it says, abide in me and I in you. It's a two-way street. You live in him, he lives in you. Branch can't bear fruit in and of itself. You cut off any branch from the trunk, it will bear nothing. You've got to stay connected. And yet, and some of us branches, we work pretty hard at ripping ourselves off the off the vine, don't we? It's like, I don't want to be on that vine. <clears throat> you just see these little branches running everywhere, trying to do something without the vine. They don't get very far. They're usually dead fairly quickly. I don't know how many of you in school, because I, again, lived in Escondido, which was the avocado capital of the world as well, still is in some places, the old experiment of taking the avocado seed and putting it with toothpicks in it, and sticking it in water, and all of a sudden it begins. No, pretty soon you've got an avocado bush in your living room. You've all done that. You ever notice how it never actually bore any fruit? Because it's in water. There's no nutrients. It's not actually attached to a tree. It's just a seed. It can't do that. You can get things to grow sometimes. But you need to be part of the real tree. You need to be part of the real vine. You need to be right there with the Lord. 
Notice it says that the vine dresser, if he finds you not doing that, he's going to pick you up, pull you out of the dirt, and he's going to start some pruning. Anybody else in here hate the pruning of God? We don't like to get pruned. I don't like to get cut on, but boy, is it necessary. Matter of fact, Hebrews chapter 12 says, if he doesn't prune you, you're not one of his kids. He doesn't chasten us. He doesn't correct us. Interestingly, that, that word that's used there, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, it actually says he lifts up. It doesn't say, actually, that he cuts it off. He says he lifts it up. The Greek word there, aero, means to lift up. It means to place back on the trellis. It means to get the dirt off of it, put it back up where it can get some sunlight, where it's no longer getting trampled on, It's not being run over by tractors. It's back up on the trellis so that it can branch out and bear some fruit. The Lord does that. He lifts us up. But in the process, you got some dead things on there. He's got to cut it off. That's how we know he loves us. He's not going to leave us with some dead old stick growing out of us. If that's you, that's us. We need to let God do what he needs to do. Because he really does want to have us bear truckloads of fruit. He's going to keep disciplining. He's going to keep washing. He's going to keep cleansing. He's going to keep lifting up. He's going to keep hacking off the dead stuff until we bear fruit. That's why you're here. That's why the church is here. And so the secret is to abide, it's to stay in, it's to live there. We, we shouldn't be resisting the Lord. We shouldn't be pushing away, we should be drawing near. And sometimes we have to surrender to the knife. Anybody else in here had stuff cut out of your life? I have. I've had stuff cut out of my life. Things that most of the world would look at and go, wow, you know, who wouldn't want to have you know, business enterprises and all those kind of things? Who wouldn't want to be a corporate president? And yet God cut those things out of my life because all I was doing was growing lots of leaves. Bushy things. You know, elephants shaped out of nice greenery. Sometimes the Lord has to remove those things. A few things for you to think on. Bring the worship team back up. And I want you to think on these things. Is Jesus Christ actually your first love? Is Jesus Christ actually your first love? Do you want to make him look good? Can you actually tell me, can you tell anybody where he's at work in your life? Can you remember the last time that he did a little bit of pruning and what happened? What's your number one priority? In other words, where we started, why are you here? Is it to bear fruit? So we're going to have the pastors come forward and be available for prayer. Maybe you've grown some sticks. Maybe you got a whole trunk that's dead. So much so that God maybe needs to take a chainsaw to that part, cut it off. I can tell you this. That's the secret to bearing more fruit in your life. Is getting rid of what doesn't belong. Here's the good news. He wants to bear fruit in your life. And he's not mad at you. Matter of fact, he loves you. With an undying love that you can't even imagine. And so, maybe you need to pray where you're at. Maybe you want to come and pray with somebody tonight. There can be some guys up here to pray with. But ask him if there's some branches that need to be trimmed. Because we don't want to just simply be a bunch of bushy trees. We surely don't want to be a bunch of dead sticks. We want to have 
gold and silver and precious things that come out of our lives, amen? So 1 Corinthians chapter 3 reminds us. One day we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, just as 2 Corinthians tells us there in chapter 5. You see, one day your branch, my branch, this church's branch, God's going to inspect it. He's going to actually take a look at our branches. And we're going to receive a reward for those things that are done in the body. They're at the beam of seat. And whether it's good or bad, whether there's no fruit, some fruit, much fruit, or a whole truckload of fruit. And I pray for us, when we take our last breath, there is a truckload of fruit. Amen? Let's pray. Father, tonight we are again just so grateful to be able to gather in this place. Lord, we thank you for the precious opportunity to do that. And God, as we close out our night, as we spend some time worshiping and praying and thinking on these things, Lord, I know for me, I know there's a couple of sticks. They're little things, but they're sticks nonetheless. And so, God, I I ask you for me. Prune off those dead branches, Lord. Help me to bear more fruit. And I pray for this church. I pray for us together as a family. Lord, we we want to need semis to cart off the fruit from this church. Lord, we want to need railroad boxcars to hold all the fruit. And so, God, tonight we just... Put ourselves in your hands. Lord, we know you'll lift us up. We know you'll tenderly care. We know you'll wash. We know you'll cleanse. We know that you'll prune, but you'll never cut too deep. You won't ever cut off too much. You won't cut off more than is needed, nor less. And so we trust you. Lord, we love you. We bless you. We praise you. And we thank you, God, for loving us. Help us to abide in the vine. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.